um, your the two things I sent home with you, um, truth through personality and MacArthur's one on uh, the fa- famine of the word. Did you, did anybody get a chance? Did anybody? Do people get a chance to read that? Yes. Um, I'm just going to open it up. General thoughts. Let's start with uh, MacArthur's um, article, shorter article. Thoughts. Well, I think um, he's on, but you know, stick to the word of God. Don't. Um, it's good to have your personality, but don't um, you know make your own scripture in your own head. Yeah. Um, it's God's word, not yours. Right. The, the Bible, at the top of the second column there, I have it underlined in your thing there. There's diabol- diabolical nonsense. The Bible itself is eternally applicable. If you go down one more paragraph, Christians today are biblically malnourished, severely so. The dearth of biblical preaching is the number one reason the evangelical movement is so spiritually anemic. Um, and, and preaching the word is so important. And I hope that you, by learning how to teach and preach, can be a part of the solution, not part of the problem, right? Um, anything else? This is kind of like your, it was on your memory verse. I, I hope you caught that, that, that your memory verse. This was talking a lot about that. Yes, ma'am. Just see a movement in churches where, I know my family up north is really struggling with finding a church that still preaches God's work. And Sunday after Sunday, they have done things. We've been up there and hit several of these, and so it's really common. But they do a message on feeding the poor, hmm. and um, but I mean, like now they're pushing for everybody to become a what is it? The like they take on a child. And oh, adoption, yeah. Not just adoption, but like overseas. Like oh, yeah. Sponsoring. Yeah, sponsoring, yeah, yeah. And so that's the whole thrust of the message. And that those kind of messages are just what they do throughout, like all year. So the people, when you go to do a Bible study or something, they are very weak. I mean, very weak in, in just knowing God's Word. And, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I personally think that a lot of preachers underestimate their, their people's ability to understand the truth and apply it, so... Yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm not going to spend a ton more time. That's more of a motivational. I, I, I think this is tremendous. I read it and I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> I, was, I was pretty pumped up. I thought it was a tremendous article. This is by um, uh, John MacArthur. Mark, Mark Minnick writes, Truth to Personality. What are some thoughts? This will come back on in a second. Uh, thoughts about this one? What is it? The, this, uh, did, did anybody else get this? You got this one? No, you didn't? Okay, that's okay. I have extra copies if you didn't get it. That's okay. If you didn't get it, I'd like for you to get a chance to read it. Here's an extra here um so yeah i thought it was interesting in so far as personality there almost had two kinds of meanings one was like the uniqueness that god's put into every one of the unique viewpoints and unique ways of communication and speaking the truth through that side of personality the other side of it was speaking the truth through who you become in christ you know through how god's working in you and yeah. both sides of that together i i think this is interesting because he's drawing on something that what I wanted to point out, the reason I wanted to, to you to read this, is that we are all different people, and we all have different texts. Now, what I could have done was I could have assigned you all one text, and we all could have worked on that one text together. The difficulty of that is, is that I didn't want us all. I didn't want you to borrow too much from other people's work. I wanted you to learn this on your own. Even if we were to do that, and you all were to give a lesson, you all would say something different. The truth remains, but because of how God has made us and how we see things, sometimes God uses our personalities in preaching to, to bring out certain things about a text that are, that, are, that are different from person to person. It does not mean that the truth changes. The truth is unchanging, but preaching uh, is different from person to person. And that's okay. I, I, if I stand up and I say, a, if I preach a sermon on a text and someone else preaches that same text, they might have something else to say about it. Now, it should be generally the same, but there are going to be different parts of it. And Minnick's a tremendous preacher. I don't know if you've ever heard him preach. I mean, um, like I mentioned last week, he, he is, and he's a very thoughtful person. He's not for everybody because he, he's, he's very, very um, brainy, I guess I would say, and, and, and he can preach a long time. Um, 
But I, I thought if you go to uh, it's a third page, second paragraph. The minstrel who sings before you to show his skill will be praised for his wit, his rhymes, and his voice. But the courier who hurries in, breathless, to bring you a message will be forgotten in the message that he brings. Okay, you see that picture? And, and go, go down the next paragraph, halfway through. He says, but as a preacher grows more full of the conception of the sermon as a message... He gets clear of those brambles. He comes out to open ground. His work grows freer, bolder, and broader. He loves the simplest text and the great truths which run like rivers through all of life. And, and his point being that, that, that um, the message should consume us. That they have this personality, but it's not... Um, our personality should never be the focus. The truth should be the focus. The personality is how, how things flow forward. And you're right, Daniel. That's a good observation. He talks about the fact that actually... Um, uh, I thought it was interesting. The next page over... Um, we can never forget in thinking of the preacher's personality that he is one who lives in constant familiarity with thoughts and words which to other men are occasional and rare and which, pers- uh, which preserve their sacredness mainly by their rarity. He talks about the fact that the constant dealings of these truths can actually, you can deceive yourself into thinking that you're actually more spiritual than you are. It's a danger. He says, you beg men to repent and you grow so familiar with the whole theory of repentance that it is hard for you to know if that you yourself have not repented. Oh, dagger to the heart. Okay. So, and then he talks about true, uh, and then the last section in combination, truth and personality. The truth is fixed and stable element. The personality is varying and growing element. And um, I would encourage you, if you go on the internet, listen to some of Dr. Mark Minnick's sermons. I think they would be always enriching, always encouraging and uh, something to take a look at. Take your, uh, take your notebooks out. Let's talk through what you guys are going to be preaching on, teaching on, studying. All right. So, so far, some of you guys have already turned in your passages to me. Um, I, need to, I need to get from the rest of you what you'd like to preach or teach on. So, um, who, who wants to jump in first? Josh? Um, Matthew 18, 10 through 14. Matthew 18, 10 through 14. Okay. What, what is that about? Remind me. Oh, okay. Awesome. Next. Yes. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel 1. Let me put your, put your first name first. I mean, last name first. Sorry about that. Daniel 1. Good one. Wow. It's a uh, narrative. It's a little different. Somebody else. Yes. Uh, Genesis 22, 1-18. Okay. That's a good one. That's actually, I give you a little bit of help on that one in, this, in the work, in workbook. <laughs> so you're, you're in good shape. Yes, ma'am. Psalm 139. And it's Abigail, right? Psalm what? Psalm 139. 139. Okay. I like that one. Okay. Yes, sir, Kevin. Uh, Zechariah 1, 7-17. Okay. Zechariah 1... 7 through 17? Yes. Okay, let me look at that one real quick. Um, uh, 7 through 17. Um, All right. Sounds good. That's going to be that's going to be fun prophecy. We don't have a whole lot of prophetic stuff in here, but we will uh, take a look at that. Who else hasn't signed up yet? Tim, you got one yet? Yes, you did. James one. That's right. I'm sorry. Kadra and Daniel, Cadence, what, Sarah Beth. Is that everybody? Pat, did you do yours? My verses are there, wrong, Ephesians wrong. one Ephesians or six. six um, ten through eighteen. Oh, ten through eighteen. Sorry. Ten through eighteen. Armor of God. I had 11 and follow. Okay, is that everybody? Who is not up there? Christy, you don't, you're not, don't have to be up there, cause, but do you want to do one? If I don't have to be up there, I don't need it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Very good. I, I, I think you guys, um, you all pick good ones. This is going to be, uh, this is going to be excellent. All right. Very good. Um, let's go on to your, uh, let's look at, where we are here, we are, let's look at your worksheets for a second because I want to I want to talk to you through this. Look at your um, worksheet uh, before your worksheets. Be, so here are your order of preparation. Here, um, so there should be tabs. It's like your your first real tab. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, the worksheets. Okay. I mentioned this last time. Your sermon's going to be prepared in a specific order. Um, exegesis. What exe- You might not know what that word means, but this, this is an important word. I'll use it all the time. Exegesis means to draw out. Okay? And I might even call something an exegetical outline. Exegesis is a very common word in, in sermon preparation. There's another couple common words that I'll use. One is called homiletics. Homiletics is, um, is preaching. Okay, so if you have a, a exegetical outline and a homiletical outline are two different things. An exegetical outline, which we'll talk about in a minute, is an outline of the text as it is. When we do exegesis, what we're looking at is we're actually beginning with this idea of what the question of what does it say? Okay, what it says. We're asking the question: What does this text say? What does the Bible say in this text? We're not really concerned right now with what am I supposed to do with it? We're more concerned with what does the text say? And we're talking about study. So we're, the first step is exegesis. That study is drawing out of the text. The opposite of exegesis is eisegesis. Well, again, I'll mention this again in a minute, but that's to put in. We don't ever want to read into the text. We want to draw out of the text. We want to ask questions of what the Bible's saying and, and, and be able to understand what the text is saying. We don't want to let, let God speak through the Bible. We don't want to put our voice into the scripture. Is that good? I understand. Um, the next thing you're going to do. So that's our first thing. What I did on this first little bit here, if you look into your, if you flip the page and look over on your, on this exegesis section, um, there are steps to exegesis. Okay. Um, I, I really simplified and just kind of broke this down. This is in your study portion of your sermon prep. Before you ever start preaching, you've got to study. That's why we started talking about philosophy of study. You've got to study first. And the, the, you got to choose your text, blank. What's your text? You can go ahead and put your text in that blank right there. And then the next thing you're going to do is you're going to read that text and you're going to identify transitions in the text. That is changes in audience, mood, perspective, or language. When you're reading the Bible and something shifts, that means it's probably something you need to take note of. So, for example, um, I have below actually uh, an example for you. I'll talk about that as we get to it. Number three, you're going to mark repeated words or ideas because what you're doing is you're working from what the Bible says to understand what the Bible means. Okay, but you got to start with repeated ideas. So you see the word grace over and over again, grace and grace and grace and grace. You start marking that word. That means something important in this text. If it's all about the tongue, if it's talking about speech and language and, and, and your voice and your tongue, then you start marking those things. And it's helpful maybe to print out a copy of the, of the text and use colored pencils for this. Um, so you mark these repeated words. You identify key words or theme words. You start to figure out what is this text about. You define any unfamiliar words. I know I'm going quickly. We're going to take a lot of time to work through this, so don't panic. <laughs> We're going to define unfamiliar words. That means you look at a word like propitiation. And you say, oh, what does that word mean? Or if you're, if you're doing Daniel 1, and in the King James it says, but we would rather have pulse. You say, I don't know what pulse is. Is he saying we'd rather have like our pulse? I don't know. What is he talking about? You look up what that word means, or you look at a different Bible translation, you see how they translated that Hebrew word. You find out it means vegetables. Okay? Not talking about blood pulse. Um, then you're going to diagram your passage, block diagram, which all that is... As, is it structurally, visually seeing how your passage is laid out? Again, and then lastly, you're going to prepare an exegetical outline and exegetical thesis. So that is for your, process, your steps for exegesis. This will take you a long time. So that's something that does, this is not something that happens in an afternoon. Okay? It'll take you a while. So let's look. Here's an example. I chose uh, 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 5. Uh, number one, identify transi- transitions. I noticed there was a change... Uh, if you read the text, it says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching for the times will come. Aha. See, there's a change here. Hey, all of a sudden he's talking about why this is important. See the word for, that's a key word. Whenever you look for, look for, um, words like for, therefore, wherefore, because, you know, words like that. But often these words are, transition words. 
And it's obvious to me. This might take you a while, okay? This might, you might say, that doesn't look obvious. Well, read, if you read it enough, all of a sudden, things will start to come to the surface. And then another exhortation to the preacher in verse 5. But you be watchful. Because first, in verse 3 through 4, he's talking about something else. There is coming a time when people will not endure sound doctrine. First, he's talking to the preacher. Then he's talking about something else. He's explaining why. And then he comes back to the preacher. He says, but you be watchful. So there's three points. There's a change. There's a shift. I don't know if you see it, but I see it. I don't know if you can see it, but it's there. If you, if you look and study it, you'll find it. So then I started marking repeating words. And I don't know if you can see this. And yours, yours might be black and white. But I use my computer program. And you can use pencils. But can you see up here? Let me get over here. All right. Um, I charge you... To preach, be ready, convince, rebuke, exhort, do, endure. What are all those words have in common? They're all action. They're imperatives. They're commands. You see that? So there are commands here and there are commands here. No commands here. Instead, he's saying they, 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 they. Who's a they? You see how repeated things, I see the word they going over and over again. I highlight it and I say, oh, I see what's going on here. He's talking to, he's charging someone before God and the Lord Jesus. He's talking, he's telling them what he's charging them. And then he's talking about somebody else, the they's there. And then, um, but you, I should have highlighted that again. That should have been highlighted like this one. You, and then he has more commands. Be watchful, endure, do the work, fulfill your ministry. So by highlighting repeating words, this is inductive study. If you've ever done inductive, it's a similar idea. By highlighting words, you're noticing shifts in this. So again, I'm giving you kind of the 30,000 foot view. We're going to go deeper in a minute. So I, I identified key ideas, commands, timing, and the opponents and God. Define unfamiliar words. Who are the living and the dead? What does it mean in season, out of season? What's an evangelist? And then here is my block diagram. This is what a block diagram looks like. It is something that I, I do this almost every single time I preach. In fact, I'll show you what I'm working on for Sunday. You want to see it? Um, haha, there it is. These are my notes from Sunday. I started to block diagram here. See, this is just, I wasn't, I guess I wasn't going to show you this, but there you go. So, yeah, it's a little bit of a... So this is Sunday sermon. You notice, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly. Our heart is open. You are restricted, restricted. You also be open. So repeated ideas. See, openness. And then all of a sudden he has a command about don't being unequally yoked with unbelievers. Here's some spiritual words here. Fellowship, communion, accord, part, and agreement. So I'm looking for... Um, this is, this is uh, what you do. The reason you inset things is because what you're doing is you're saying this is related to that in some way or it's parallel in some way. So notice, I charge you before God and before Christ. So I can actually take this out and it makes sense. So who will judge the living and he will judge the dead. So you could actually go the living and the dead at his appearing and his, you could do that, and his kingdom, like that. But I chose to do it the other way. Sorry, I lost my place here. So when you block diagram, all you're looking for is main ideas, because the things that stick off to the left are more main ideas. Everything else is subordinated. So here in this passage, there's a charge. Here's what the charge is. Preach the word. Be ready, convince, and rebuke. Can, be ready when? In season and out of season. Does that kind of make sense at all? Are you, are you, yes, are you catching yes. anything what I'm saying? I know this is, I, I'm, I'm going through this fast, but that's the idea when you do block diagramming. And I give you the full example so you can look at it at your own time if you want to explore it a little bit more. And this is all part of exegesis. Then you prepare the exegetical outline. Here's my exegetical outline. The witnesses to the charge before God and before the Lord Jesus Christ, the content of the charge and the reason for the charge. Okay. And the exegetical thesis is because Christ will hold us accountable, we must always preach the word God's way, not giving into the temptation from those we serve to change our message. Now, that's not a very good proposition to preach. It's not a homiletical proposition. It's not something I'm going to get up and say on Sunday. But it is what the text is saying. It's exegetical. 
It is what the text... What does it say? That's what it says. So this is like... Like when you build a house, you start with the architecture. You don't start with the interior design. Okay? You start with, okay... Where, where, how big or how deep are my footings going to be? Got to pour the concrete, got to lay the ground. Okay, then I can start doing the framing. This is like framing stuff. It's not pretty. Have you ever seen a building when it's been framed? You're like, okay, that's that. Okay, I can kind of see the shape, but it does. You can't really tell like what color it's going to be. When you're teaching a lesson, you've got to have solid framing and solid foundations, or else if you start off with like, oh, I'm going to have a really zinger right here, um, that may or may not end up working. You're, you're, you have to start with a solid foundation because that's what matters the most. So this is all structural stuff. We're talking structure. How can I structure my message? I have to understand the structure of the text. I have to understand the structure of what I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm drawing out of the text. I'm not putting my own ideas in. And then if I keep going here, uh, well, that's all I have there for that uh, exegesis. Um, so that's exegesis. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. And I just wanted to work through that so you could see it. I want you to begin to start doing this in your own time. Um, you'll notice um, we have a long time to do this lesson. This doesn't have to be done. You know, you're not preaching on Sunday. So, so take your time. It's okay. Relax and, and, and spend some time in God's Word reading it over and over again and trying to understand what the structure of the text is, looking for changes, looking for differences, different audience, different mood, different... Uh, if you're doing... So we have Daniel and we have Genesis 22. Who else is doing narrative? Genesis 22. Narrative is a story. That's it, right? So you guys are also looking for change in location. So you're saying if there's a location change... It's a scene change. Imagine, like, visualize it like a movie. If, if, if all of a sudden, Abraham is no longer at home, and now he's on the road to Moriah, okay, something's changed. So that is a shift in your, in your story. It's a movement, and that's going to be either a main point or a sub point. Something's going to have to change there in your, in your teaching. All right, so let's um, go back to your notes. So now you can get rid of those, uh, not get rid of, but move on from your worksheets to our regular notes we're still in philosophy of study right how far did we get all right so we said we study so we may understand the text uh we study so we can apply the text did we talk about this we didn't really did we we did we may uh yeah these pages aren't the same as yours we stopped at, we, yeah, this one. Why well, study the Bible? Uh, yours is going to look a little bit different. Yours is going to look, yeah. It's under philosophy of study. Number two is we study that we may apply the text. Okay, you got that one? We study so we may apply the text. The purpose, uh, study should lead to preaching. <clears throat> we study so we may apply the text. I'll make it bigger for you. How about that? How's that? <laughs> study should lead to preaching. Leads to ap- preaching is the uh, is the end purpose of study, and application is the end purpose of preaching. We don't just study just to get smarter. We don't just study the Bible so we can understand it better. Our goal is to study it so that we can communicate the truth. And study. This is one of your blanks here. Study leads to preaching, which leads to application. You've got to apply the message faithfully. Can you not see that? Is it super tiny? Yeah, that's Study, <laughs> preaching, application. I have to make my font bigger. No, that's good. What you're doing? Yeah, because you're on the front row, Carolee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's good uh, for me because I can't see. So. <laughs> We study so yeah. We study so we may be effective preachers and teachers. Your effectiveness in preaching or teaching will be limited by your ability to understand and apply the scriptures. Because God's words, not our words, change lives. The more closely we connect the text to the text, the more powerful and impactful your message may be. You will not be uh, you will not be able to faithfully apply the scripture without understanding the demands God is making on your life. And our tools limit our effectiveness. 
We might be able to accomplish a few things without the right tools, but with the right tools, we can accomplish much more with less effort, therefore being much more effective. The idea is this, is that if, if you're equipped to, to study the Bible like, uh, and you do it and you refine your tools, like anything, like any project, if you're doing a project at home and you have the right tools, it makes the job so much better than if you're trying to like... I, I can't. I, I when the first time um, Jenna and I bought a piece of furniture, it was a, is a bookshelf. In fact, we still have it. And that bookshelf, we bought from like Target, and it was when you had. To, I didn't realize you had to put it together. We got it home, and I was like, okay, I can put this thing together. And I realized I did not have a screwdriver. Okay, I was, I was just married. I had like no tools. I had nothing. I, I was living in an apartment. I had like no dollars to my name. I'm in school, and all we had was a. Get this. A, a pair of scissors that had a flathead screwdriver sticking out the, the back of it. That's literally all I had. Now, don't pity me because now I have tons of tools. I'm good. But, but I had to put together that bookshelf with a pair of scissors. Now, did it work? Yes. Was it effective? Sure. Was it efficient? No. My goal is to equip you guys so that could, could you like teach a Sunday school class with, like, with a pair of scissors? I mean... Yeah, anybody can do it, but I want you to be able to like not be freaking out and stressed, yeah. it, but just be able to to learn and do it and and be able to do it with some somewhat regular basis. So anyway, so what is Bible study? There are two sides to Bible study. First, Bible study is spirit enabled. Uh, the passages in First Corinthians chapter two talks about the fact that God has revealed these truths to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God, the spirit who is from God, that we might know that we, uh, the things that have been freely given to us by God. The spirit is who teaches us, and learning from the word of God is a spiritual thing. It is not only academic. Okay? You could be really smart, but if you don't have a spiritual sensitive conscience, if you're not listening to the Lord, if you don't pray, you're not going to get anything. Like, personal. You might, like, Oh, there was this king and he did this. You might get some like very abstract ideas, but to apply and to understand what God is teaching, it's a spiritual event. Okay. Secondly, Bible study is hard work. We should expect it to be hard work because study is hard work. Don't expect to sit there and passively understand everything about a passage. Okay. You'll need to dig in and plow and work. Second Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. So that's study. Let's talk about preaching. Again, preaching, the why and the what of preaching. A uh, couple things to, to look at of this quote here. The preacher's purpose must be God's purpose. And the minister of the word is to Mason, who goes to a church each week to lay block. He builds on a foundation, and to be faithful, he must build on that which is able to withstand fires and testing. Some great words there. I think it's from, think it's from uh, Adams. Yeah. The purpose of the preaching then is to affect change among members of God's church that build them up individually and that build up the body as a whole. Individually good pastoral preaching helps each person in the congregation to grow in his faith, conforming his life more and more to the biblical standards. Corporately, such preaching builds up the church as the body and the relationship of the parts to the whole and the whole of, to God and to the world. So why preach the Bible? One, this is, I'm just going to go through these quickly because, again, this is a lot of this is philosophy. Number one, we preach the Bible because it is the Word of God. It's not just man's Word. I, I have heard preaching where people get up and just tell stories, where people make you laugh, and people, like you're saying, might say you need to go feed the poor. That's great. It's fine. But real preaching has got to be God's words. Number two, we preach the Bible because all Scripture is inspired and it's profitable. All scripture, even Leviticus. Okay. What does scripture include? Old and New Testaments. Here in uh, 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16, we find a passage here that um, Peter's writing us, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him as written to you, as also in his epistles, speaking to them these things which are written, some hard to understand which untaught and unstable persons twist to their destruction as they do the rest of the Scripture, calling Paul's writings scriptures. Hmm. He validated Paul. He's validating Paul, yeah. They were questioning Paul. Yeah. So, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Inspiration is the word God breathed. I don't know if you can read Greek. Probably not. But can anybody read that? Theta, Epsilon, Omicron. 
theta, right? The, it's a theta, so it's a th. Eh, ah, the theo is the word for God, like theology. And then this word here, again, I know you probably can't read Greek, but it's Pastor Drew. Do you know what that word is? Panoustos or neustos. And we get the word pneumonia from it. P n e u p n e u is the word for pneuma, wind, breath. It's the idea of breathing. It means God breathed. I have it right there for you. I don't know if you can see it. God breathed. Okay? All scripture is given by inspiration or given given by inspiration or God breathed. And it's profitable for doctrine, which is what? What is? Doctrine is what is right. I should have had you memorize these. These are good. These are not original to me. That's why they're good. What is right? What is wrong? Reproof. How to what? How to make it right. Thank you. And instruction in righteousness, how to keep it right. Very good. What is right? What is wrong? What is right? What is wrong? How to make it right? How to keep it right? And we preach the Bible because the words of Scripture have the power of God. We preach Christ crucified, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see that? Um, only God's word can give light in darkness, right? We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservant, is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Some powerful words there. The same voice of God who calls light out of darkness, Genesis 1, shines in our hearts. Number five, we preach the Bible because we desire to glorify God. Glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Therefore, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Of God, preaching therefore as an act which brings ultimate glory to God Himself should and must reflect both the objective truths of God's very nature and His character as expressed in the vertical relationship of Creator to creation and Redeemer to redeemed. And lastly, we preach, or I guess this is the last. Number six, we preach the Bible because only the Scripture can give real hope. Yeah. And lastly, we preach the Bible because. Um, God's words will have their desired effect with an E, effect. Um, this is Isaiah 55. talks about God's word coming down like rain and snow that waters the ground. So just like study, what is Bible preaching? Bible preaching is hard work. Bible preaching is hard work from John MacArthur. He says, as a stewardship from God, preaching demands diligence, discipline, and hard work. So I'm telling you this because I'm warning you that, that it will not be super easy. I hope that you're ready to, to put the time in, but it, it is worth it, friends. When you, when you really get a hold of a truth, when you get a hold of a passage of Scripture and you feel like you really know it, like it becomes your friend. And you look for every opportunity you can to, to show that friend off. <laughs> to, to, to be able to, to give that, that, you know, that lesson. Bible preaching seeks to please God first. The goal is not to please people, but to do God's will. We already talked about this passage many times. It's a very important passage, which I had you memorize one of the verses from it. Bible preaching seeks to speak for God. I noticed the prophet's main job was not necessarily foretelling the future, but forthtelling, that is speaking the word of God with authority. Over and over again, you look at the phrase, thus says the Lord. In fact, I can, uh, if you search for um, thus says the Lord, I bet. Yeah, I have 417 times in the Bible. I mean, look at that. So, it's very... Uh, in fact, most of the prophetic books are full of sermons. Did you know that? Most of the prophetic books you read are sermons. Most of the prophetic books, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. You stand in front of a group of people yeah. telling them what God says. Exactly what you do on Sundays. Yeah. So the work of the preacher, the goal of preaching is to speak God's life-giving words to God's people. They need to hear from God. And preaching often contains teaching, but preaching at the heart is, what's that word there? Exhortation. Exhortation. Okay. So when you preach, there's two things you've got to keep in mind. Truth and exhortation. Truth 
is what is. Exhortation is what ought. Okay? God says, you know, this is... Uh, in fact, in, uh, we did that in 2 Timothy 4 where he said, you know, there's coming a time when people have, you know, want to hear, they'll heap to themselves teachers with itching ears and, and they will do this and that. Therefore, you must do this. He's telling a truth and often when, we, when you write your lesson or your sermon, what you're going to be saying is, because of this truth, you must do this. Okay? Because this is true, we must do this. That's very often how it's going to be structured because God gives us truth and exhortation in the Word of God. And one of the things you're going to do in one of your worksheets is you're going to put your scripture out and you're going to try to figure out, does your passage, usually this is epistolary literature, so Paul, Peter, Hebrews... Uh, John, not in your narrative. Your narrative guys are going to have a little different, and prophetic is going to be a little different. You're going to list out your truths and your exhortations, and you're going to see how they're related. That's in one of your worksheets. Therefore, we may preach. Because of this is true, we actually can preach. Have you ever noticed, you ever been to a Catholic church or to a, a, a liturgical church? We went to Episcopal churches in a Church of England when we were there. You know what's at the center of an Episcopal church? The altar. Pulpits are on the side. Two pulpits. One pulpit here, one pulpit there, and there's an altar at the middle. The center of their world is Lord's Supper. That's what they do. You know what's at the center of a Baptist church? The Word of God. Right? The Word is open and the Word is proclaimed. That's the center of the, the um, Baptist and um, a lot of... Um, uh, ref, um, Reformation style, you know, churches, Protestant churches, is this idea of coming with the word being the center. And so because of that, we do believe the word is the center. Therefore, we preach. We preach with authority and we preach with authority from all the Bible. All scripture is profitable, not just the New Testament, all of it. All right. Oh, I forgot to uh, train you in one thing. And that is, when you walk in, in the back corner, there's going to be some sheets of paper like that. Um, those are your handouts for each day in case... So every time when you come in, what you're going to do is you're going to check that table. And uh, in fact, Kedra, do you mind grabbing those and just you and Lori maybe passing them out? They're in... There are several papers, and they're just going to go at the back of your notes to add on to where you are, okay? So... That's when you walk in, make sure you check that table. I forgot to mention that. Thank you. Sorry about that. All right, we have about 15 minutes. Let's slow down for a minute and talk about this this idea of expository preaching, which is what we're doing. Okay. So you should still be in your same notes from last time, I think. Expository preaching. Um, When we do expository preaching versus topical preaching, I'm I'm trying to make a case for preaching the Bible text. So when I asked you what you were going to preach on, what was your response? All of you gave me a what? A Bible reference, right? You gave me a passage. Nobody said I want to preach on prayer or I want to preach on abortion. I had, a, I had a teenager one time when I was here as a youth pastor. Say, I want to preach on abortion. I said, we don't, we don't do topical messages. If you want to preach on life, we can preach on, you know, go to the Psalms. We'll go to somewhere where we talk about the, the you know, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Or, or, you know, we can do that. But, but we're not going to start with our end in mind already, like our topic. So there, there's, there's two strategies. There is um, topical and expository so topical your question is what does the bible say about blank so prayer and if you're preaching a topical message very likely you're going to go from all over you're going to start you're going to pick verses from here there And you're going to reorganize these verses 
into logical uh, ver- uh, groupings. So if I were preaching a, ta- a sermon on prayer, what might be some of the things I would say? Where would I go? What would I talk about? Psalms. Psalms? Okay, what would be in Psalms? Examples of prayer, maybe, or something? Yeah, I know. Lord's prayer. So, how about Lord's Prayer? Yeah. Right? So here, here a pattern of prayer. Jesus is praying the Lord's. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. What else would I do? Pray without ceasing. Yeah, I go to, yeah. First Thessalonians, yeah. Pray without ceasing. You have you have verses about yeah about praying in in Paul's letters. The pastoral letters talk about yeah. Prayer. Well, Paul will say his prayers like Paul's pastoral prayers, like First Thessalonians. He has a a huge prayer as well for the people. Um, you might even say obstacles to prayer in the Book of Psalms. It talks about how. If we are have iniquity in our heart, God will not hear. And then the New Testament talks about husbands. If you don't love your wives, you don't treat them right, then, then God will not listen to your prayers. Your prayers will be hindered. And you have all these different... Okay, so what else can we talk about? We talk about um, Nehemiah's prayers. and we can talk, You see, the problem is I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of just going out there and trying to find different things about prayer. That, that's okay. It has its place. But when you when you do that, it, it, it's difficult because you're starting with yourself as the as the starting point. When you start with the Bible, when you say instead of this is topical, what does the Bible say about blank? When you do um, expository, you say what does blank say? You know what is this blank? What is this text? I keep saying text, but passage or psalm or chapter or whatever. What does it say? Um, the it's not only that. Uh, this quote here is from I think it's from Chapel. Is it? Yeah, Brian Chapel. An expository sermon may be defined as a message whose structure and thoughts are derived from a biblical text that covers the scope of the text and that explains the features and context of the text in order to disclose the enduring principles for faithful thinking, living, and worship intended by the Spirit. Who inspired that text? I can read it again if you want, but I, I would I would meditate on that for a little bit and think about what he's saying. Is that everything about my message comes from the Bible? The, the, the emphasis that I'm going to give comes from the Bible. Even the structure is going to come from the Bible. My points are going to follow the structure of the text of the Bible. Everything about my expository sermon is going to be as biblical as I can be. It's tied to the text. Why would we do that? Because it's the only truth. Because it's God's word, right? It's the truth. And it's something that is as close as you can get to the text itself is the best. So the question to be answered is what does the text say versus the what does the text say about blank? We believe all scripture is profitable. Therefore, we will preach from all scripture and by preaching uh, this is another thing. We teach people how to read their Bibles. <laughs> this is just so interesting. I, I, someone pointed this out, and I think it's so true. That if, if I get up as a as pastor, or if you are te- doing a lesson, or if you've been brought up on lessons where they say, today we're going to talk about courage. We're going to look at Daniel 1. And we're going to look at Daniel 4. And we're going to go to Genesis and we're going to go, we're going to look at all these different stories. What, what is the conception you get in your mind on how you're supposed to study your Bible? Scattered. Yeah. All over the place. So you go, all right, so I'm going to look here, then I'm going to look here, then I'm going to look here, then I'm going to look here. What's the danger of flipping around your Bible and taking verses one by one by one by one? You lose context. Ah. You lose context. That's why in one of your worksheets, I ask you to read ahead, read ahead of, uh, yeah, before and after, what your passage is. When you're in Daniel 1, you can't read before. And you really actually don't need to read much after because you have such a large portion. But if you're in the middle of like Ephesians, I think, are you in Ephesians? Yep. You're Ephesians 4 and then Ephesians 6. You're going to need to read beforehand to see what's leading up into that. Same for you, because you, you have some stuff right before this. Yours is very important. That'll give you some context for going into it, right? And you've got to be aware of what's around it so that you are, you are in keeping with the purpose of that passage and the purpose of God's Word. Um, so that is, 
that is all about our basically the, the this introduction about philosophy of preaching and study and why we do expository sermons. Uh, are there any questions uh, before I um, move on? Does this make sense? Why we do it this way? You know, it reminds me of when the Jehovah's come to my door. They read one more verse. Yeah. And I'll have them sit down and come inside, and we'll read the whole context. Right. And then they have no answers. Right. Because they're just trying to. And I'm like, "What's that noise?" And they're like, "What?" I said, "It sounds like someone's ripping down." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, ripping, ripping the. Yeah, be careful. Um, uh, there's actually. Let me let me show you a. Um, a lot of people that are. What how, what is this? What does this verse mean? Stolen. <laughs> you know when we were talking about putting money in the cup and the fridge for the water. <laughs> no. I was talking about putting water. Nelson's going to catch. Oh, stolen. Oh, yeah. This is about the refrigerator. Yeah, stolen water is. A... Nelson's watching everybody. So yeah, watch yeah. Out. No, that's not what I'm. Yeah, it sounds um, sounds like hey, go ahead and steal water. Sounds a little scandalous, doesn't it? Okay. But it is bitter in the mouth, right? The rest of it is something like that. Okay, uh, where is that? New American Standard, Nasby, right there. Um, so here's uh, back up a phrase, back up a little bit. The woman of folly is boisterous. She's naive and knows nothing, right? She sits at the doorway of her house on the sea of the high place of the city, calling to those who pass by, who are making their paths straight. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. Whoever lacks understanding, she says. She, who, who's talking? She, that yeah, the woman of folly. Okay. Don't apply that verse. <laughs> look at the context, right? So You've got to look at the context. She's saying something that's actually wicked. She's saying, hey, come in here. Stolen waters are sweet, right? Commit adultery because it's extra fun. And, but he does not know that the what? The dead are there, that her guests, her guests are in the depths of hell. So her deceptive language is the whole highlighted point here. And, And you have to be careful. Don't, if you look, that's why I didn't show you the context at first. Because context is everything. Yeah. In fact, if, if you ha- if, the, if you're looking for an answer in our quiz, probably the probably the answer is context, because context matters that much. You're looking at the context of a passage to understand what it means. Looking for repeated ideas, looking for changes, trying to do some of that work in your um, in your uh, exegesis as you head into um, your. So let's look at your schedule for next week. What are you, what are you going to do for next week? So this week, I asked you to. Select a passage of scripture. All of you did that. A lot of you did your reading. Good. Next week, I want you to read uh, Adam's uh, chapters 3 to 5. I'm going to give you a short quiz on Adam's reading. It's not going to be hard. I hope. Um, and then we're going to talk about observation. The, the three parts of study that lead into preaching are observation, interpretation, and application. Okay? What it says, what it means, what it means to me. We start here with what does it say? We build on that. We've got to start here. Um, and we'll talk about that next week. We'll talk about some more tools and things for how to, how to do that. But uh, any questions? Anything else? Yes, sir. A reading journal check. So you want to yeah. start reading our verse every day? Yeah. So if you look at, yeah, read the passage once every day that week. Keep a reading journal of date and time and each time you read it. So actually, on the next page, flip it over, I gave you a... An example of what a reading journal should look like, something like this. Just take a note card, take a, take a piece of paper or something. You can even use this if you want. One, two, three, four, five. I put seven in there. And then twice I said, read the, read the context both before your text. Yeah, at least one chapter before and one chapter after at least two times. And mark this as well. I didn't know if I put that, but you could do that too. Okay? So that's this week. If you would do that every day. If you don't do it every day, that's okay. Just don't lie. Because God hears you. <laughs> well, this is a church thing, okay? Come on. I know. And it really, really, I'm not going to count off if you don't, I'm not going to count off if you don't read, okay? I'm not. I'll tell you right now. I'm not going to count off. I just want you to be, I, I want you to do it. Because you will benefit if you read it every day 
and you read the before and after. Listen to it on the. Thing. You you can do that. Sure, you can you can listen to it. You can no, read I'm it. Just saying, it's like, if you can't, you it, that's true. Really if you don't have time, you should have time. You shouldn't. Well, none of you are preaching on anything. None of you is preaching like the entire book of Ecclesiastes or anything. So we're good. For sure. In fact, I have a. Uh, if y'all will turn to uh, go back to your notes here in into um, the next section. Talk about uh, yeah, into unit two. Um, into your new pages. Did y'all see the little? Did y'all see the little? Uh, in the new pages I gave you, did you see the 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 uh, uh, pyramid? Ah, there it is. Yeah. You like that? I drew that today. Isn't that cool? I'm so proud of myself. I drew that pyramid. Copyright Marshall fan. Yeah. Uh, the, the pyramid is the the basic idea. Obviously, is the wider the base, the higher you go. All right, the better, the better. So this is the base building part. So we're not have to. Do this don't, we'll, we'll do that in class. Yeah, don't worry about it. But I'm just drawing your attention to that beautiful pyramid because I want you to, to think to think in terms of it's... It, I, in fact, I know we're out of time. Let me just say one last thing. That you've got to build that wide base. I, I, I And Drew will probably attest to this. When you preach, I feel, like this, I, I feel like this is my life, okay? I study and study and study. I feel like I'm a car that's spinning tires in the mud. I'm not getting anywhere. And I, I start to get worried. I'm like doing this for a long time. And I'm working and working and working. And I'm like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. This may not even work. I may not have anything to say on Sunday. And all of a sudden, everything is kind of... Click, 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 clicks into place and you catch and you're, and you're going. Okay. So what I'm saying is, is you've got to build that base and you may be like, this is a lot of time and study. I don't feel like I'm really making a lot of progress in my sermon or lesson. You've got to do that first before you do anything else. And eventually it'll catch and you'll be like off to the races. It'll make more sense as, as you do it. But that happens about once a week. I have a little panic attack about Thursday morning. Start wondering, (laughs) is this ever going to happen? So. All right, let's close with prayer. Thank you for your good attention, and we'll see you next week. Father, we love you, and we thank you for another week. we got to talk about um, uh, this lesson, uh, how, to, how to learn from your word, how to teach it, preach it. I pray that we would be uh, effective preachers and teachers, that we would uh, be careful to do what your word says and to be faithful to your word and not just thinking up things in our own minds. And, Lord, we thank you for your word that is so powerful. And I pray you give us a wonderful evening. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.